When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. In Riley's nature is the question. Second and one at the 29. And they'll throw it back to Rattler. Rattler off his back foot down the field. And this is Mims. A little trickery here. Here we go. The West Virginia Mountaineers are coming to Norman, Oklahoma with bad intentions. The week after upsetting number 15, Virginia Tech, West Virginia now has their sights set on number four, Oklahoma. As the Sooners begin conference play, it's finally a night game, Rich. Um, it's going to be uh, on ESPN. And uh, I, I don't know. Let me, let me, let's start by asking you this. I know it's your week to ask questions, particularly with true or false, but do you feel like West Virginia deserves to be ranked? Man, that is a difficult first question out of the gate, largely because West Virginia lost to Maryland right. in the season opener. And I feel as though a lot of that is attributed to one thing, and that was their lack of a ground game. Since then, they've churned out almost 200 yards in two consecutive games, which has been really the difference maker. Um, there was a very good possibility for West Virginia to lose that game to Virginia Tech down the stretch with a fumble and a turnover. So there, I still have some question marks regarding West Virginia. The resume I get looking at a top 15 program like Virginia Tech claiming a victory over Virginia Tech in a rivalry game goes a long way. But at the end of the day, I, that was a coin flip type game. So I'm going to say West Virginia just outside of the top 25 is probably where they deserve to be right now. Well, you could be an AP voter because that's where they have them, just outside of the top 25. I was just thinking, you know, you, you lose by four to Maryland in a game where you turn the ball over four times. You completely mm -hmm. route Long Island, which is equivalent to Oklahoma routing Western Carolina, but 66 to nothing. And then you beat a top 15 program. Um, I, I can't help but think if you, if you change the logo, if you make that a, you know, a Texas logo instead of a a West Virginia logo, then you're probably in the top 25 with that type of resume. But regardless, I don't think this is setting up to be an easy game for Oklahoma in Norman. And, but I, I'm, I'm actually going confidently into this weekend. Um, the, the first question that comes to mind is, is there, is there the possibility of a letdown coming off of the Nebraska game last week? And, and my thought, I'd love to hear yours, but my thought is, I don't think so. I mean, West Virginia's coming off of a rivalry game. That's I feel like it's way more of a rivalry than what Oklahoma mm -hmm. and Nebraska are nowadays. Now, Oklahoma and Nebraska, that's a rivalry in name. West Virginia, Virginia Tech is a rivalry in nature. I, I, I'm, I, don't, I wouldn't put money on this, but I am thinking that it's probably been more recent than 10 years since West Virginia and Virginia Tech played, as opposed to the, the long hiatus. All these guys that played in that Nebraska-Oklahoma game last week, they were in grade school the last time the Sooners and the Huskers played each other in football. And that's not the case for West Virginia and Virginia Tech. And so if there is a potential letdown, I, I think it's probably on the Mountaineer side 
But the truth is, both of these teams, I really feel like they know what's at stake. They're going into conference play. I, I think they come in fully focused. I can take that side of the argument. I'm just not going to. And the large reason for me, Matt, is when you look at this Oklahoma team, I'll take it from this, this vantage point, this perspective to begin with. When you look at this Oklahoma team and you look at the stadium that they play in, that was a loud stadium for Nebraska. Yeah. It was also a closer game than I think some people, myself included, anticipated that one being. In fact, it earned Oklahoma a top five ranking in loudest stadiums. Now, I don't know if the individual who's releasing those is doing those week by week because Alabama was ranked as one of the quietest, even though they played on the road. So I don't know how you could give them a ranking. Needless to say, Oklahoma, the fan base and the enthusiasm, I think should trickle over to the play on the field. And I know even the Nebraska players, Adrian Martinez spoke of the atmosphere. If you think that those individuals weren't up for that game, I'm, I'm sorry to break it to you, but the atmosphere is what charged this game and really made it what it is. I do see the potential for a little bit of a letdown because West Virginia, it's not going to be that loud. I don't think the crowd is as in to this game because there's not the historical significance. There's Oklahoma and West Virginia, correct me if I'm wrong here, have only played 10 times. West Virginia on the right. – They've actually played – this will be the ninth time they've played in conference play. Mm-hmm. This West Virginia, excuse me, West Virginia team coming off a big win, taking the trophy home. It had been 6,000 days, over 6,000 days. I don't know what that trophy is called, but I know it now resides in Morgantown <laughs> instead of with, with Virginia Tech. Matt, that, that was an emotional thing for them. And so when I look at these two teams, I see the potential for a little bit of an emotional letdown to not be as invested emotionally. That's not to say that this game is going to be something that's lacking offense or something that's lacking star power on the defensive side of the ball, especially on the, the defensive lines. West Virginia is going to come in ready for another upset, upset, ready to prove that they are a contender here in the Big 12 because the Big 12 title runs through Norman at the moment. And if you can't come in and beat Oklahoma or at least challenge them, it's almost as if to say you have no shot at claiming that championship. So there is something, to, there is something here for West Virginia to play for. I'm not saying that there's not. I just don't think it has the emotional investment that we saw from the previous two games for these teams. But see, I feel like you're, you're, I feel like you're kind of reiterating my point where that this is a bigger deal that the rivalry weekend last weekend was a bigger deal for West mm -hmm. Virginia than it was for Oklahoma. And you're right about the crowd. I was in that crowd, but you know, you know who else was in that crowd? About 20,000 Nebraska fans who were in that crowd. And there were, there was one part in the game late in the, in the, in the fourth quarter where the Nebraska fans kind of took over and you could hear the chant, um, you know, go big red chants and so forth. Um, you know, they, they got loud on fourth down at, at one point, um, uh, third down, I guess, for uh, against Oklahoma. So that crowd was, wasn't just the Oklahoma crowd that was juiced up. It was Oklahoma and Nebraska. But here's where you're wrong about the crowd. Here's where I think you're wrong about the crowd. Number one, it's a conference game. Oklahoma, West Virginia didn't get to play in 2020. So the last time that these two teams met was in Norman. Num number two, 
this Oklahoma team hasn't reached its full potential yet. And I think there's going to be key moments in this game where the crowd's going to be needed. And number three, it's a night game. The best crowds in Norman are the night crowds. They're, they're, there's not a, when you look at the all-time best crowds under the Lincoln-Riley era, you're not going to find an 11 a.m. kickoff outside of the Cotton Bowl for Oklahoma and Texas. That's just, I'm a, I'm a part of that crowd. I'm, I'm at those games. I'm, I'm in the stadium. I can tell you the night crowds are the best crowds. And so I think the crowd, I disagree with you. I think the crowd will be a factor in this game. I, I, I really don't, I mean, Look, you're, you're listening to these guys talk about the OU Nebraska rivalry, and here's what they're saying. Yeah, I, I remember as a kid that game being big. I remember, you know, this coach so and so in high but school. But it's they, not about the players on the field, it was but, about the fans in the stands. The, which is the, exactly the, the my ones point. where the money's coming from. Which is exactly my point. That's why there's not going to be a letdown because to the players, it was just another game. I mean, is if you bring this argument before or after Texas, then it's it's a it's the real deal. But to to the players on the on both sides, Nebraska and Oklahoma, this was just a game. It was it was a game, and it, it got a lot of national attention. But that rivalry, these kids know nothing. They felt nothing. That there was it was about pride. You're you're playing for the pride of of your university. Obviously, you want to represent yourself because of of all the hoopla around the game. But as far as that turning that rivalry on and off, it doesn't happen. You can't just go to a 19, 20, 21 year old kid and say, hey, guess what? This is a rivalry game. We need you to treat it with the same type of, of emotional and mental investment as you would an Oklahoma, Texas game. It's not going to happen. You just can't do it. There's no history. They don't remember winning or losing to Nebraska because it's never happened for either of those guys. The, the kids on Nebraska sideline, they don't remember winning or losing against Oklahoma. All they know is they need to win to keep their coach employed. And so I just, I just, we're talking way too long about this topic, but I don't see there being any sort of letdown on the Oklahoma sideline because the, the OU Nebraska rivalry is not really a thing anymore. It's historic, but it's not a current thing. So I'm going to leave you with this. Okay. You can go back and you can look at these rivalry games. If you want to say that it's not a rivalry, that's fine. But I think there's some play on the field that dictates that certain individuals knew, maybe not from firsthand experience, maybe it was from the coaching staff, maybe it was from the media, maybe it's what was being published in the advertisements for, Matt, we even brought it up, the 50th anniversary of one of the greatest games of all time, when we Look at the play on the field between Oklahoma and Nebraska. The thing that says it was a rivalry to me was the unsportsmanlike conduct penalties that take place. And those were before the game. No, not even before the game, during the game. Nebraska's center racked up two, if I'm not mistaken, at least one, but I thought it was two. Well, if it's two, he would have been ejected. I mean, he would have been ejected if it was two. I just, I just, I mean, look, it's, but, but again, you're, every argument you're bringing to this point is, on the Nebraska side, I, I, I'm not, I'm not, I yeah, don't but care. To, to act like the Oklahoma players didn't buy into it either. Is, I don't think they did. I really didn't. You don't have Oklahoma players that unsportsmanlike conduct. You got some jawing pregame, but I no. saw them. I saw them jawing pregame against Western Carolina. Does that, does that make them a, a rival? I just, I don't, I don't buy into any of that. I, you know, next year, maybe it's a different story when they go to Nebraska, because you, you're going to go to that game next year and Nebraska, there's going to be players on that team 
who remember losing to Oklahoma. That's that's when you kind of start having something going. That's when there's an emotional investment. I really, I'm just not buying in. I, I think it was just uh, just another game. But you sound like maybe if you're talking about a potential letdown, uh, maybe you know on both teams, you you see this being a low scoring game or a high scoring game on Saturday. I don't see it being a particularly high scoring game. If is the over under set at 58 and a half? Is that what I saw? I think so. I can I can get you that right now because I have that in my notes. The over under mm-hmm. is 56 and a half. I am going to tell you that in three games this season, I think Oklahoma's only eclipsed the over under once and they did it single handedly in the second game of the season against WCU. It's easy for me to say in the fourth, the way that the trend has played out so far, it's easy for me to say it's not going to be a high scoring game. I disagree. I, I think uh, I think I would take. I mean, we'll, we'll obviously give our score predictions here. I think I would take the over. I, I um obviously I'm going to pick an Oklahoma victory. And I, I think I think you know the next question you you want to ask here is how many points does Oklahoma need to score in this game? I think if you score more than 21, you win. If you're the Sooners, you know, even if even if you're really even, yeah, even if you're held to Nebraska standard of 23 points, you still walk off the field a, a winner in this game, in my opinion. I'm not going to disagree with your statement. I would love for Oklahoma to be in the 30 range when it is all said and done, but I do have to agree with you. I think, I think 21 to 24 points is what you need to win this contest. Yeah. I, I mean, I, 30 is a, a, a surefire win. 21, 24. Oh, I agree. I agree. Me, you get the 30s, you're golden. Win. I agree. Um, and here, here's where um, I take into account here. When you look at the teams that Oklahoma has played this year, we're going to get deep enough in the schedule at some point where we really can't do this off the top of our heads. But now it's going to be the fourth opponent. Clearly, Western Carolina, they're, they're number four out of, of the opponents that, that Oklahoma's played. Mm-hmm. I said, and I'm sticking to my guns, that Tulane was in that moment with the, with the swapping of the game and bringing it back to Norman and the potential cancellations, the, the emotion that – the green wave brought into that, you know, playing, you know, with, with what they had on their sleeves following the hurricane. I think Tulane was still the top opponent Oklahoma's played this year. So the question is now, where does Nebraska fit in? Is, is, I mean, where does West Virginia fit in? Is West Virginia a better opponent than Nebraska or are they a lesser opponent than Nebraska? And I, I'm really mixing that. I, I, I'm, I'm kind of got some thoughts either way. I, I think Nebraska is more physical than West Virginia was going to be. Uh, on both sides of the ball. I, I think um, I think from the running back's perspective that um, West Virginia has more explosiveness than what Nebraska had. I, I think um, I think when you look at the quarterback play, clearly Daggy is a better passer, but Martinez had that big playability with his legs. And you're not really gonna have to worry about Daggy as much as you worried about Martinez when it came to you know breaking breaking containment and so forth. Um, I think turnover prone they're both pretty even and so i i don't have a problem saying either it's two nebraska's two and 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 west virginia's two a or nebraska just slightly ahead of west virginia or if you want to put in west virginia slightly ahead of nebraska i i think these two teams are pretty much on even par with one another 
Well, we're going to disagree. Surprise. <laughs> Once again, I, I do agree with you in the fact that Nebraska is probably the most physical team that Oklahoma has played up to this point, and that will probably remain true after week four. Of course, hindsight is 2020, and so we're going based upon what we've seen out of West Virginia. But I'm looking, as you said, a more capable passer. I think there is a more capable running back that will be on the field as well with West Virginia. Granted, Letty Brown just put up 161 yards by himself right. against Virginia Tech in week three, helping West Virginia to pull off that upset. When I look at, at West Virginia, I'm going to put them above Tulane right now. Yes, Matt, I get that there's a little bit of momentum there. Yes, I said that they're not a top 25 program, and those are contradictory statements at this point and are at odds with one another. But when I look at West Virginia, I think they are the most complete team that Oklahoma will have faced at this point of the season. And I think they have more offensive weapons mm -hmm. that they can use instead of just throwing a big set out there and saying, look, we know that you don't have the defenders to stop it. So we're going to keep running these big sets at you until you prove that you're capable of stopping it four times in a row. West Virginia is going to come out. And again, I think they're going to be balanced. I think you're going to see a lot of Letty Brown, and I think you're going to see a lot of Jared Dagey. Where do the receivers come in and how do special teams affected are the X factors for me, which sets, sets this West Virginia team apart from what I think Nebraska and what I think Tulane were capable of. I feel like you, you and I are going to take two different sides, two different approaches to this game, because I, I almost feel like also, I mean, just kind of reading between the lines, like you're, you're buying into some of the, the – it's not really high, but you're buying into some of the letdown this week after after a five point win over Tulane, a seven point win over Nebraska. I kind of feel like you're you're buying you're you're with that crowd that's like this Oklahoma team. They're in trouble. They're they're not the team that we thought they were. You know, we talked about last oh, week no. whether it's time to reset expectations, but I don't see this game playing out as as close as Nebraska or as close as Tulane either. I don't either. And I know we're going to get to our score predictions, but I have this one as a 20 point win for Oklahoma. Okay. All right. I'm not going to tell you what the exact score is. No, it's okay. We'll get to that at the end of the podcast. Yeah, but and, I, and I don't I, think Oklahoma needs to revamp anything here, which I, I know we talked about Caleb Williams taking over for Spencer Rattler and that's a future thing. That's not a today thing. It's not an in the moment thing. Right. Spencer Rattler is the cemented starter and will be for the duration of the season, barring an injury. Right. I don't think the offense needs to be revamped. There's plenty of talent. There's there's plenty of individuals who can step up and make plays on defense. Injuries are just plaguing this team on the back, the back end of this defense. And so there are a lot of things to account for, but I'm not in the I'm not in the camp of saying that something needs to change, that Lincoln Riley <laughs> needs to be fired or, or whatever these absurd uh, ideologies are that are are coming out in forums and social media. Well, the the, uh, the, Mount, the Mountaineers come to Norman with a defense that's, that's very similar to what they faced against Nebraska a week ago. And, and I, I talked in pregame last week about how, how no, the Tulane game would prepare Oklahoma for what they were going to see against the Nebraska game. I really think defensively, what you saw out of Tulane with the physicality, what you saw out of Nebraska with the physicality, I think that really helps prepare the offense for what they're going to face on Saturday against West Virginia. I don't think there's anything offensively with Tulane or Nebraska that's really going to be a, a huge boost 
to Oklahoma's defense outside of the fact that Oklahoma's going to have to play to stop the run defensively. And we'll get into that here in just a minute. But offensively, you're going up against a defense that only allows 17 points a game. Like Oklahoma, they have a shutout win over an FCS opponent. Uh, they're allowing opponents just over 200 yards passing a game and over just 101.7 yards rushing. But I, I really feel like when it comes to this game, I, I like what I saw and the blueprint from Maryland in terms of beating this Mountaineer defense. They're, they're, th this is a defense, I just, I just gave you the stats, but when they, when they played, when they played Maryland, their quarterback really just kind of took it to them. And he attacked what I believe is the strength of this defense. I, I think that the, the safeties, these defensive backs, I know you're high on the defensive line, but to me, the meat of this defense is in, is in that secondary where your, your second, third and fourth rated tackler on the team are, are right there all in, in that secondary. But Westford, but Maryland attacked them and attacked them through the air so much so that it softened them up to, to really open up the running game. And they, they had a kid, uh, what's his name, Tayon, uh, Tayon Fleet Davis, the running back from Maryland, averaged 6.8 yards of carry, only carried the ball 18 times. And I see that, you know, you, you've got Kennedy Brooks, 15 carries. You, you got you know, Eric Gray, 16 carries, somewhere around in there. But I really feel like this is a game where Spencer Rattler can exploit some things with the speed that he has in his arsenal. Tua, um, not Tua, what's, what's Tua's brother? Um, Tonga? Uh, Tagovailoa, the quarterback for Maryland, 72% completion rate, 333 yards, three touchdowns against this West Virginia defense. Because what they did was they softened them up through the air, and but they kept pounding with these running backs enough to freeze those safeties, and that's what I think Oklahoma is going to do. I, I said last week for Nebraska the same thing I said uh, against Tulane that I think Lincoln Riley passes to run in this game i don't think that's the case this go around i think in this go around you run to pass because you want to freeze those safeties you need them just to pause for a minute so you can get your guy into the seam you can get your guy out to the flat or you can get your guy across the middle either in front or behind those safeties if you're doing a drag or a post route i, I think you see the play action pass come into play here and i think Ari gray this is a game when you're attacking a defense like this Eric Gray is suited for this type of game. And so for me, when I'm looking at offensive keys in this game, I, I think the very first thing is you got to run the ball and you got to, you got to, with those moments that you run it, you got to really capitalize on it. You got to hit them hard and get to that second level so that those safeties have to take a step forward instead of a step backwards. I'm going to go a little bit of a different route here. Um, and it largely centers upon this offensive line, and that is keeping Spencer Rattler upright yeah, in this sure. game. When, when we look at what West Virginia brings to the table, it's hard to ignore a name like Dante Stills. He's mm -hmm. going to draw a lot of attention off the defensive line, but it's really the linebackers who are doing the cleanup cleanup duty they're the ones getting into the backfield because of how much attention because of how many players Dante Stills is absorbing by himself it's it's kind of a similar situation to what Oklahoma fans are accustomed to seeing from a player like a Perry and Winfrey mm -hmm. uh, other names come to mind but Perry and Winfrey being the the key component or key cog for that Oklahoma defensive line Dante Stills is that for West Virginia so keeping Spencer Rattler upright um, allowing him to step into his throws, 
is going to be key and it's going to keep this offense moving. It's going to keep them chugging downfield and, and gaining first downs essentially for lack of a better way, uh, an eloquent way of putting that. That's just a simpleton way. Well, you're right. And this is a, a Mountaineer defense that's averaging nearly three and a half sacks per game. And so keeping the pressure off of Spencer Rattler is, is a hundred percent on point here. And, and I think you're going to see some things like, um, like you're saying, stepping forward into the pocket, but also I think you're going to see some intentional rolling of the pocket because of what we saw with the pressure that was on Spencer Rattler last week. And let's, let's not forget that Spencer Rattler was pretty, pretty good under pressure. People really want to, kind of dogpile on Spencer Rattler right now. And, and again, he's not the perfect quarterback. He hasn't played a perfect game this season, but he completed, he's completing for the season. He's completing 75% of his passes. So last week he was around mm-hmm. just under 73% of pass completion. But you look at what he had to do on the move. I think Lincoln Riley might dial in some things that intentionally puts Spencer Rattler on the move this go around so that he's working from a rolling pocket, so to speak, other than just straight up because they, I said this going into game one, they need to have the offensive line ready to go this week. Partly because West Virginia, you're talking about the steals kid. West Virginia is bringing some, some good quality uh, as far as that defensive line goes, but really, because moving forward, they, they, they need a gel. They, this, this group needs to kind of begin to work cohesively as a unit. I'm willing to bet, clearly I haven't been to a practice this week, but I'm willing to bet that the, line, the offensive line rotation in practice was dwindled down this week because they want to emphasize and focus on that cohesiveness of this offensive line, these guys up front. And, and with that, Rich, when you talk about keeping your quarterback, keeping his jersey clean, with pressure comes the propensity to turn the ball over. And again, that's the second thing. I, I think you got to run the ball effectively, but you got you to gotta keep the turnovers limited, as in none. <laughs> like, eradicate these things. West Virginia is turning the ball over. They've turned the ball over seven times this season. Oklahoma's defense has recorded seven turnovers this season. I think turnovers are going to be a, a key part of this game. Mm-hmm. And, and what you don't want to do when you have a guy like Letty Brown, go back, you look at heartland-sports.com. There's a video of him there on the things you need to know about the Mountaineers. The guy can be gone in a flash. It takes one guy to miss him, and then he's, he's burning you. When you've got a running back like that, the last thing you want to do is give him extra possessions. So if the turnovers are going to play a key factor, let's keep it like it was against Western Carolina and like it was when against Nebraska, where we didn't turn it over, but instead the defense got those turnovers. That's got to be a big deal. Protect the football. I can't disagree with you as winning that turnover margin is something that's expected of this defense. We've said that number so many times, the number of two, and Alex Grinch has preached it. We're right. finally seeing that come to fruition. As you mentioned, through the three games, Oklahoma is averaging above the two turnovers that they set out as a goal. And that was in the 2020 mm-hmm. season. I'm hoping that carried over. Um, I haven't heard as much talk about it, but it certainly still exists for those of us um, who consider ourselves fans of this Oklahoma team and are, are clamoring for the improvement 
throughout the the year, throughout this season of this speed D. Now I'm going to go ahead and give you my, my final two, because these two, they're, they're going to work together. Um, I don't really see a way to separate them, but the first one is to stay ahead of the chains. What we mm-hmm. saw from Oklahoma and when they struggled was when they got behind the chains and found themselves in obvious passing downs. Right. We've seen on numerous occasions, especially as Oklahoma finds themselves deeper and deeper into their own territory. It's like the playbook closes down. So Oklahoma does need to open themselves up by winning first and second down and putting it into a very manageable third down uh, more often than not. I get that's not something you can do from start to finish in a game. I do expect there to be punts in this game, and I do expect Oklahoma, like I said, to have to give the ball away on occasion. But if Oklahoma can consistently win on first and second down and find themselves in a manageable third down to where they can utilize the full playbook, whether that is handing the ball off to a running back like a Kennedy Brooks, who's proven to be very consistent this year, or use a little bit of misdirection and throw the ball um, just short routes from Spencer Rattler to a guy like a Jaden Hazelwood, there's a lot of opportunity to be success and to continue to march downfield. But the second one, and it was a huge limiting factor that we saw from Oklahoma for the first three games of the season, and that's penalties from the offensive line. Right. I mean, this right. is an offensive line, Matt, that's, that's surrendering 60 yards per game at this point in time, largely due to false starts. Yes, it's a little bit of the cohesiveness that you're speaking of. It's a little bit of the gelling that needs to happen. It's a little bit of settling in on those starters and then using a, not necessarily a set rotation, but a rotation to keep those players fresh and to keep their minds clear and allow them to execute at a high level. Again, those two things are going to go hand in hand. If Oklahoma is winning on first and second down, the offensive line can't set them back and put them back into a very disastrous position that they had just worked themselves out of. Again, if this offense is going to be successful, that's the three things that I'm looking for. Well, the only, my, my last thing, you know, I, I said, you got to run the ball effectively. Um, you know, uh, I, I can't remember what my second thing was all of a sudden, um, but <laughs> I, I, Oklahoma. It's no turnovers. Yes. Thank you. I was like trying to look through my notes here. Um, run the ball effectively. Don't turn the ball over. And then they've got to take advantage of, of opportunities down the field. That's been one of the big talking points this week is, is Spencer mm-hmm. Rattler not stretching the field. Well, it's not because there's not opportunity there. There has been opportunity <laughs> there. You, we, we've seen that. Um, uh, if you go and you look at film, there's guys open downfield, but it, it's a combination of things. It's a com, but it, it, I think it comes down to the, the pressure Spencer Rattler. The, the main culprit here is that Spencer Rattler's not going all the way through his progressions to see that downfield guy. And usually a downfield guy is not your first option. He's usually not even your second option. He's your third option. Um, but when you don't make sense, makes when, sense. When, just yeah, time to develop the play, the time. Yeah. It, it takes time to get downfield. So you got a hot read, you got your primary read and you got a downfield read on most plays. But that said, when, when you're getting pressured on every snap on every play and you got to scramble, you got to run, you got to check down, then you don't see those downfield guys. So while it is partly Spencer Rattler not going through his progressions, another part of it is him not having time to get through those progressions. So if you've got a video of him setting up in the pocket, a clean pocket, and then choosing to go mid-range or short over an open downfield guy, that's a whole different issue 
than him flushing from the pocket, rolling out, or having standing in the face of pressure and checking down and not seeing the the downfield guy. So, I, I you got you got to run the ball effectively. You got to not turn the ball over, and then you got to take a shot. You got to see those downfield guys and take a shot with them uh, to really stretch this defense. Because I I I'm sticking to my guns that I really believe that the meat the, uh, of this West Virginia defense is in those uh, three safeties that are just that they will lay the wood because they're physical, but they're also athletic and they can run and they're opportun- opportunistic and that they can break up plays. Um, but again, you're going up against a secondary who in three games has yet to produce an interception. So I like, I like what Spencer Rattler's getting on Saturday in the terms of the, the defensive opponent. So give me your player to watch rich on Oklahoma's that offense. one's, yeah, that one's extremely easy. This has been a theme um, since Sunday for me when we recorded our recap of the game against Nebraska, and it's Jaden Hazelwood. He cemented himself as a major player in this offense in that Nebraska game, started living up to some of the hype that was surrounding him coming out of high school as one of the most talented receivers to ever play high school football and enter the collegiate realm now of football. We said this was the year for him. Mm -hmm. Uh, And by game three, I do feel as though Jaden Hazelwood, a big bodied receiver, again, became a focus of this offense. I'm excited to see that the way that he's going to continue to mature and to grow in this offense as he continues to take more and more of the looks, more and more of the throws in his general direction. And we're talking outside of the red zone. Now, at this point in time. And so when we look at, at a key player, a guy who has to have a big game, the consistency that we're beginning to see with Jaden Hazelwood is an easy guy for me to pinpoint. No, that's fair. I, I, that's uh, I, I think, um, you know, it's crazy how two weeks ago, our opinion on Jaden Hazelwood was he could be like the, he could be the go-to guy in the red zone to now, yeah. two weeks later is I he think he could be the go-to guy period. Um, for mm-hmm. me, the guy I'm watching offensively is Eric Gray, because I think, like I said earlier, this is the type of game. This is the type of defense that really suits his skill set. He becomes incredibly dangerous, particularly in the passing game against a defense like this. And so I think this is going to be a big day uh, for uh, for number zero for Oklahoma's offense. And so I'm going to have my eyes on him. Give me a bold prediction for Oklahoma's offense. Yeah, um, this has been something that we've consistently said about this offense simply because of the talent that exists on the roster. And it's very easy, Matt. We focused in on the receivers. So we focused in on the running back and have said that there would be 100-yard receivers, that there would be 100-yard rushers. We have not had that 100-yard rusher. I don't know that it happens in this game either but I am going to focus in on the quarterback this week since that's not been an individual that we've we've made a bold prediction about and I'm going to say that this is the second game this season where we see Spencer Rattler eclipse eclipse the 300 yard mark in passing yards nice okay I, I can get on board with that and since you gave such a great introduction I am going to give my bold prediction that this is the game where Oklahoma has a 100-yard <laughs> rusher. So it's going to happen this week. Oklahoma, either Kennedy Brooks or Eric Gray, will eclipse the 100-yard mark rushing. Not Caleb Williams? 
It's not going to be Caleb Williams. Hey, listen, if Caleb Williams, I think we're agreed. If Caleb Williams plays in this game, then things are going very, very well. Yeah. Or they yeah. have gone very, very bad. I mean, that's just kind yeah. of where it is. Yeah. Unless it's yeah. something like what we saw against Tulane, where you just uh, sit him out there on the goal line and, and let him run it in. So that's mm-hmm. always a possibility as well. Defensively, when you when you look at stopping Letty Brown, stopping Jarrett Dagey, how do you focus here? What's Give me your first key defensively if you're Alex yeah, Grinch. Yeah, yeah. Alex um, Grinch is going to call you and say, Rich, give me some advice here. What's the first thing you're going to tell him? Man, um, can I go with the easiest one I've got on this list? And that Absolutely. is going to be to cause turnovers. Matt, you've yeah. already mentioned the fact that, that West Virginia has turned the ball over seven times, but a majority uh-huh. of the turnovers, and we can look at just how the, <laughs> the Virginia Tech game unfolded for West Virginia. A lot of those turnovers are coming from the quarterback position and it's not just interceptions that we're talking about. It's also fumbles. I look Mm -hmm. at this defensive line for Oklahoma and I see a quarterback who's not the most mobile quarterback. Sure. All quarterbacks have the ability to, to move, have the ability to move the pocket, have the ability to move out of the pocket. Some just do it a little bit better with a little more athleticism and a little more finesse than a guy like Daigie is going to do on Saturday. And so I see this defensive line, even though we haven't even mentioned Jalen Redmond's name at this point of the podcast, but without Jalen Redmond available, it's not a defensive line that takes a step back, right. in my opinion. Sure, they're going to lack the depth that he provided. They're going to lack that athleticism and that potential star power that he possesses in, in a singular figure. But at the same time as Isaiah Thomas, Nick Benito as that, that rush linebacker, very capable individuals. We saw Isaiah Coe, we've mm-hmm. seen uh, Josh Ellison, and we've seen Perrin Winfrey all have a major impact in these games. And is Isaiah Coe the freshman? No, I just blanked on that. Okay, Coe, that's yeah. what I was thinking. Who was the freshman that got the start at tackle? It doesn't matter. That's beside the point. I'm, I'm just pointing out that there's a lot of talent and there's a lot of depth there for Oklahoma, even if they're missing some key components, such as a Jalen Redmond. The defensive line is the equivalent of the wide receiver position on this Oklahoma roster if we're looking at opposite sides of the ball. But Matt, at the end of the day, this is a defensive line that I expect to have a lot of success. It's a defensive line that I expect to get a lot of pressure on the quarterback, and that should result in turnovers, whether that is down the field or whether that is by virtue of a fumble is yet to be seen. But again, the defense wants to be successful, and it, they're, they're going to hinge on those turnovers once again. Like I said, of, that's my easy. Sure. Are you talking about Kelvin Gilliam as far as a defensive lineman? He's yeah, the only freshman I think that's that I can it. think of that's kind of getting in there uh, on, on some significant playing time. Uh, for me, I think the first, the first thing defensively is you've got to dominate the line of scrimmage, and, and in doing so, you're going to limit Letty Brown. Um, you got to put West Virginia behind the chains. You don't want them second and manageable third and short. And so that all starts up front. And you mentioned, I mean, the lack of Jalen Redmond. I think personally for me, I'd love to know what you think on this. I, I think this benefits a guy like Josh Ellison more than anybody else. I think, I think the absence of Jalen Redmond over the next three to four weeks is going to increase the number of snaps that Josh Ellison gets more than any other player on this team. Uh, that's not to say that Isaiah Coe is not going to get more snaps. It's not to say that they're not going to throw a Jordan Kelly out there and so forth. But to me, I think, I think Ellison clearly is the next guy to benefit from that. And because of that, 
he's he's a guy that's I think can can have a, a decent game on Saturday, and he's going to be effective. He has to be effective because we already talked about Letty Brown and the explosiveness there, and his ability just to to make one guy miss and then be 15, 20 yards downfield. That cannot happen because you and I talk about this regularly, Rich. You got to take something away. You want a one-dimensional offense. The truth is, when I look at these West Virginia receivers, they don't really scare me. They're, they're, they've got speed, but they, there's just not a guy there in that, in, that, in that unit of receivers that makes me go, whoa, you know? Um, and so if you limit – I really feel like if you can limit the, the running game and put them behind the chains, then you have the opportunity for guys to break through – and make some plays in the backfield against Jarrett Dagey because I, I just, I don't could be wrong on this rich. I, and I, they could come out Saturday evening and totally prove me wrong. I just don't see a lot of guys in that receiving core for West Virginia that just wow me. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm just going to rattle off two and three then for me, because we're, Thing the first one is obviously well, well, forced turnovers. Me, yeah, I I didn't say this, but I I wholeheartedly number three was for me mm-hmm. was turnovers. So we've got the same thing, win that turnover yeah. battle. Yeah, and like I said, that that's an obvious one. I think we could put that one on the list each and every week. I'm gonna uh, echo you with my third one, but my second one for now is bend, don't break. When we look at the secondary, we know that Woody Washington is out. Uh, Billy Bowman questionable. Um, I, I don't know how much he's going to play, if he's going to play, what what role that is. Mm-hmm. Again, how many snaps he takes. And so we are looking at some of these individuals who are rising through the, the depth chart. And it's not by virtue of injury. They're young. They're inexperienced. It's, it's by what they're doing on the field day in and day out in practice. When we look at the secondary, though, and because of that inexperience, I think we've we've seen enough trouble out of this secondary. We've seen communication errors. We've seen rotations that are off against a team like West Virginia. That's something that can't happen. And so when I say bend, don't break, I'm looking at this secondary. Sure, there's some experience at the safety position and a lot of the inexperience is at the corner position, but they're working as a unit and you're only, I'll hold, I'll hold true to this for as long as I live. You're only as strong as your weakest link. Mm-hmm. And if your weakest link isn't holding up their end of the bargain, guess what? Trouble on the backside, deep possibly for you. So when I look at, when I look at it and I say, Ben, don't break. Now I'm not looking at this West Virginia team and saying that they're incapable of producing uh, yardage. They're incapable of moving the chains. They're incapable of big plays. That's not it at all. But I want to see their their yards per attempt. I want to see their yards per snap stay below eight, eight yards. And that's not asking a ton. I get it. That's not asking a ton. But if it's, if it's 10, 11, 12, you'll know that this Oklahoma secondary was in trouble all night long and was getting burned by those receivers that you said don't really scare you. I mean, I've, I, I hope that doesn't, I they just don't. I'm sorry. I just, anyway, it, yeah. it is what I'll, it is. I'll give you, I'll give Go you ahead. my third one, which is, which is really just a bottle up Letty Brown. Um, I think he's going to be the heart and soul of this yeah. offense in this game, given the performances that he's had here more recently, the 161 yards rushing. I think it was on something like 19 attempts. 
when you have that type of productivity on the field, it's easy to continue to hand you the rock and continue to expect you to, to produce at a very high rate, a very high clip. So bottling up Letty Brown, I think is going to be key. We're talking about forcing turnovers and Brown's not the kind of running back that puts the ball on the turf. So if you're looking at forcing those turnovers, you're going to have to force Deggie to begin to throw the ball and then rely on those, that defensive end, that rush linebacker to get in there and, and cause him to make an errant mm-hmm. throw that is a jump ball and is up for grabs. So of course the focus for me defensively, it all starts with Letty Brown and trickles down from there. Yeah. And that, that's a fair point. I, my last thing on defense is just to finish the sack, finish the play. Uh, we, we talked about this, how, how good uh, Adrian Martinez was at not going down, getting hit, rolling off, having guys bounce off of him, moving out of the pocket. Um, I don't get that sense from Jared Daigie. I, I Jared Daigie is not an Adrian Martinez when in terms of what his legs are. He's better than Adrian Martinez and what he can do with his arm. But when when Isaiah Thomas hits Jared Daigie, he has to hit him in a way that it guarantees Jared Daigie goes down. You you got to you got to get to him. You got to make him hear steps. You got to make him feel the pressure because all of that will change the outcome of the passing game. A comfortable quarterback is a dangerous quarterback. If they can make him uncomfortable, that really kind of tilts everything back towards Oklahoma's favor when the defense is on the field. You're going up against an offense that scores 39 points a game, 411 yards of that uh, of offense total. Of that 411, 271 are through the air. So as good as Letty Brown is, he makes things happen for, for Daigie. If they can limit Letty Brown, like you and I both said, and then if they can just rattle Daggy, that they can be in his grill regularly, I really feel good for what this defense can accomplish Saturday night. So all that said, let's go to uh, some bold predictions here and give me your bold prediction for the uh, for the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, for me, I, I want to say that Oklahoma has a Maryland-esque performance in run defense and this is a pretty salty run defense for Oklahoma so I know that it's capable but I think they can limit this West Virginia rushing attack to less than 100 yards wow that that is bold I um (laughs) again if it happens you know it's a really good day or potentially it's a really bad day as Latrell McCutcheon it gets broken into big 12 play uh (laughs) in, in in a bad way um no, I, I like it. So bold prediction for me, I, I'm going to say this. Uh, it's a two-parter. I, I think Oklahoma's defense gets five sacks on Saturday, minimum, and they also get three turnovers. So five sacks, three turnovers for Oklahoma's defense on and Saturday. And giving us two bold predictions. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a two-parter. You know what I'm saying? So it's, <laughs> that's what I'm throwing out there. Okay, it's time for everybody's favorite section of the Sooner Nation podcast. It's the true or false where we ask five true or false questions and we have to answer the question or respond to the statement and say why we're responding in that way. It's Rich's turn to ask the questions. It's my turn to be in the hot seat, so to speak. So here we go. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? 
Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. <laughs> Matt, as, as we talk about this Oklahoma-West Virginia game and really a preview segment of it, I do want you to know that all of these true or false questions or statements, these true or false statements pertain to the game, but some a little more indirectly than others. So if you're ready, man, we're just going to jump right in. Let's do it. Hey, this is not part of the true or false question, but can you name the the defensive lineman for Oklahoma? Like the starting defensive lineman? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, okay. Well, are we we're not going to count Jalen Redmond, right? Because no, you can out- count him. That's fine. Oh, okay. So you can count um, him. That's fine. So defensive end, you've got Isaiah Thomas, and in the middle nose guard, you've got Perrin Winfrey, and then Jalen Redmond, and then. Uh, some people count um, that that rush linebacker Nick Benito. Some people count him as a, a fourth guy on, on the defensive front. I count him as as a as a linebacker, but that's me. So it's Isaiah Thomas, Perrin Winfrey, Jalen Redmond, or Josh Ellison, who, who I think will get to start this week. Okay, the, these names comprise one of the best defensive lines in the country as a unit. However, individually, Dante Stills is is better. Like I said, individually is better than the names that you just mentioned, true or false. Oh, no, that's false. I mean, Dante Stills is a, is a good player, but you're telling me you would take Dante Stills over Perry on Winfrey? I mean, preseason All-American. No, it, it doesn't matter. I mean, I'm, I'm telling you, what you've seen through three games of the University of Oklahoma, you would take Dante Stills over Perry on Winfrey. I haven't really seen Dante Stills okay. play. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is false. Like, Nick Benito, here's the thing. Here's what we're not, if we're going to count Nick Benito as a defensive lineman, Nick Benito is the best defensive lineman on this football team. If we're not going to count Nick Benito as a defensive lineman, just going to say he's a, a rush linebacker, and that's really his position as a linebacker, Nick Benito is the best defensive player on this football team. I wouldn't take Nick Benito. I wouldn't take Steels over Nick Benito. I wouldn't take Steels over Perry on Winfrey. I wouldn't take Steels over Isaiah Thomas. There's three names right there that I would not take him over. All right. So there, <laughs> there's that. I, I, it's not a disrespect to the kid. I do believe his brother's better than he is, but I, I, I really just think there, there's so much potential there for Perry on Winfrey. I, I don't know if you went back and saw the play, I mentioned this Sunday in our recap podcast, but you go back to that Nebraska game. I believe it's Jalen Redmond who gets the sack, but on that play, on the play that Jalen Redmond gets the sack, Perry on Winfrey is occupying three blockers. He's being triple teamed. That's the type of, and that's against Nebraska. I mean, that's a team that traditionally has those big corn fed boys up front, but that's the type of impact that Perry on Winfrey has. I'll take him any day over, over steals. Well, we've talked about some of the struggles that Oklahoma has seen this season, more specifically from the offensive line, as well as this defensive secondary. On Saturday, though, true or false, the bigger concern will be the secondary. Yeah, I think when you look at uh, Woody Washington being out, um, I believe Bowman's going to be back. Um, but at what percentage, you know, how healthy is he Is he going to be? Um from an injury standpoint, the answer to that question is yes. But really, I'm going to fall back to what I said earlier in the podcast that I just don't see anything in West Virginia that makes me fear these receivers. You know, they're they're possession guys. So 
they're going to run to a spot and Daggy is going to put the ball in that spot. I, but I don't see them as guys that could, I mean, I mean, go back to the big time receivers that we've had in this league. I, I don't see them as, as those type of guys. And so um, it's, it's kind of a cop out here on, on an injury front. Yes. Uh, I'm, I'm more worried about the secondary than any other position uh, on the defense, but on an X's and O's front, if this front five front seven can do their job, then the back end of this defense is going to have a fun day on Saturday, I believe. I'm, I'm a little bit shocked by your response here because the cohesiveness of the offensive line has been the one limiting factor for me of how successful this offense has been through three games. I thought we were talking about defense though. No, we are talking about the offensive line or the defensive secondary. Oh, my bad. Well, still, I'm sticking with my guns here. <laughs> hey, it's all good in the neighborhood, man. Well, because I'm here's the move. thing. Hey, well, let, me, let me just jump back to that. Um, I, I, don't, I don't think I, – I can't believe I'm saying this because I'm either going to be right or I'm going to be way wrong. But I don't believe we have seen – the full schematics of Oklahoma. Okay, okay, stop, just stop, schemes. just stop. Can you just stop right there? Oh, sure. Yeah, because that's my next question. Oh, okay. For, for you. My, my next true or false statement is this. This is the game where Oklahoma offensively and Lincoln Riley will open up the playbook. True. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I was about to say that. I, I just, I really feel like there are things. Okay, so it's, it's, it's baby steps, right? You got. They say mm-hmm. you got to learn to walk before you can learn to run. You got to find your best five uh, up front, and when that best five gets up front, then you begin to learn what you can do with your offense. And so, so Lincoln Riley's learning what he can do. And I think after three games, four weeks of practice, when they hit West Virginia on Saturday, he's going to have his brain wrapped around what he can do effectively with this offense. I, I don't. We've not really seen Eric Gray in the receiving game, uh, past receiving game. We, we've not really seen Kennedy Brooks just give a, a lion's share of, of the ball care, of the, of the carries. We, we've not seen Austin Stogner be a big factor. And so I think there's a lot of things that they've been building up to. And now that they're into conference play, you, you're going to stat- you're, you're get better from game one to game two, game two to game three, and then you're going to take a giant leap from game three to game four. So the answer to this question, my friend, is true. Um, these are the ones that are going to be a little bit more indirect in terms of the game. They do apply to the game, Matt. They're just, they're not directly involved with what's happening on the field. When we look at Oklahoma, I don't know if you've seen the list of recruits that are, are planning to be in town mm-hmm. for this weekend for official visits. Now, I know that OU Texas is always a big recruiting weekend in and of itself because of the national media, uh, because of the, the outlets that will be there, and because of the opportunity that exists to get to that game due to, well, Norman has fall break, but the rest of Oklahoma does not. I don't know how that falls for the rest of the country, I just see an opportunity to travel because fall break is either that weekend or the next weekend or somewhere right around there for a majority of schools, at least in this area, and that Oklahoma is targeting players from. So back to the, the original statement here, Oklahoma is hosting more than just a handful of recruits for official visits. This, true or false, is the biggest recruiting weekend for Oklahoma. No, that's false. Um 
and it's a big weekend, but they, they had a ton of kids uh, last week for the Nebraska game. I told you um, after the Western Carolina game, uh, Gabriel Groundlow Dindy, uh, I, that I had, I thought I had run into him. And the truth is I, I did, I had confirmed that, that he was on campus. And in fact, not only was he on campus, but it was right after that. Um, Steve, uh, Steve Wiltfong, the director of recruiting for 24 seven sports had cast a crystal ball prediction for Gabriel Brown, uh, Gabriel Brown Lodendi to, to come to the University of Oklahoma. You've got a crystal ball prediction that came out this last week. I think it came out on, on Monday or Tuesday, again, from Steve Wiltfong, a five-star receiver for 2023, DeAndre Moore, uh, getting crystal ball towards the University of Oklahoma. Um, and that's that's big for, for Oklahoma because it keeps that, that, that uh, California connection connection going. And, and if you're not familiar with that, it's, it's pretty phenomenal what's happening out in California because you, you look at the commitments that Oklahoma has for 2023 and it's a class that's that's number one it's 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 ranked number one not just in the big 12 but it's ranked number one nationally and you've got Malachi Nelson who's a five-star quarterback the number two quarterback in the nation the number four overall player in the nation he's committed in that class and then you've got uh, Makai Lemon, who is an athlete that's in that class. He's the number 36 player nationally, the number five player from the state of, state of California. And he is Nelson's uh, teammate. And now if you get this more kid that, that comes in, that Steve Wolfong is predicting DeAndre Moore, he's a five-star kid. And I mean, he's, he's on the same team. So you're going to get three, potentially three five-star recruits from one high school team out in, uh, out in California. And so I, I think the big portion of this recruiting cycle has, has come to play. Not, not that there's, there's not guys that are coming in that are important, but again, you've already got the defensive tackle that you're really eyeballing for this class. You've already had him on, on campus. Uh, you've already had DeAndre Moore, uh, coming in and, and being on campus. Um, I just, I just don't, I, I don't know how, how much bigger you can get. What they really wanted was that Nebraska weekend to be the biggest weekend of the regular season, uh, in terms of home games. It didn't really work out that way because of the 11 AM kickoff. And so they split that with Western Carolina being a night game, Nebraska being a day game. And then what's I hate to use the word leftover, but the kids that couldn't come to those first two weekends are coming this weekend. So I'm going to say false. And I know I've gone a long way to answer this question. I I'm going to say no. false, but I it's because I think this weekend is a part of a big schematic that really included three consecutive weekends of recruiting for the, the university of Oklahoma. You know what? I'm just going to go ahead and admit to you that I'm a fool. Uh, largely because I thought this upcoming weekend was September 17th. It is clearly not <laughs> the case. Um, this whole time, like, like I get now, there's more than a handful of recruits who are coming. And, and on, on September 25th, it's because of the availability. It's because right, it's right. a night game. So that was kind of a softball question. <laughs> I would take that one back if I had the opportunity to plan out another one, but I don't. No, it's so, good because uh, it gave us the opportunity to talk about recruiting. And we don't really and, do that as much as we, in the off season, we talk about recruiting a lot here. 
during the season we don't. So but, it's all good. But you did give a per you gave a perfect segue for my my final true or false, and that was true or false. Gabriel Brownlow Dindy will be the next commitment for Oklahoma. Wait a minute. The next commitment, or he's going to commit to Oklahoma? The next commitment. I don't think that's true. I, I think he is going to commit to the University of Oklahoma. Um, but I, I really feel like the next commitment is going to be um, – um, oh, shoot, what was his name? The, 20, the receiver, 2023 receiver, Brandon Ennis. Um, I'm sorry, he's already committed. Uh, what's the kid's name? Um I'm going to say false. I, I don't, I don't think, um, I don't think that Brown Lodendi will be the next commitment, but I do think he's going to commit. I, I don't, I'm blanking on the kid's name that I want, that I wanted, I, I want to bring, but I, I just, I can't think it off the top of my head. You got me off guard there, but, but the answer is false that he'll be the next, but it's true. If you're asking me if he will commit, I think he is coming to you. And here's the thing. A lot of people don't realize this when we're talking about this Brown Lodendi kid. Okay. So his dad got a job near, near college station, Texas, but um, I, I'm getting all kinds of stuff in my headphones. Sorry. His dad got a job uh, near college station, Texas. So a lot of people thought that was going to swing him towards Texas A&M. And if you follow his recruitment, it's, he has said it's down between Texas A&M and the university of Oklahoma people confuse the job in Texas w with a job for Texas A&M, which I don't believe is the case, but what's being heavily overlooked with Gabriel Brown Lodendi is that his mom and dad both are OU alums. And so there's an inside track there on the home front with the parents for, for the university of Oklahoma as well. So I do think he's coming to OU. I just don't think he'll be the next, the next commitment. Fair enough. All right, so let's gonna let's uh, jump in here before we finish out the Sooner Nation podcast, and let's talk about uh, the Big Twelve rundown. Um, a heavy slate of games for the Big Twelve. Now, Rich is. I'm going to say this, and it's it's going to be accurate, but the Baylor Bears, who are hosting Iowa State this weekend, by the way, the Baylor Bears are the top team in the Big Twelve right now. Okay. <laughs> I, just, I mean, they're the only ones who have played a Big 12 conference game at this point. I was just time, waiting, which was against Kansas. So I was just uh, waiting for your uh, for your your response on that. But uh, you do have a lot of Big 12 conference games this year. Uh, this week, you've got some some interesting out of conference games. Uh, I I'm a big fan of SMU at TCU, 11 a.m. kickoff, uh, Fox Sports One. The Horn Frogs, nine and a half point favorites here. Um, over under set at 65 and a half. I am a big fan of the over here. And I think this is a game that TCU covers. I think, I think they win this game by in, in the neighborhood of 10 to 14 points, but I think it's going to be a fun game. You got Tanner Mordecai, you got Grant Calcaterra, former Sooners uh, leading the Mustang offense. You got upstart TCU. They've got a, a big win already this season over Cal. I think this sets up the Horn Frogs pretty good to go into conference play undefeated and potentially ranked in the top 25. I mean, when the SEC is coming in and attempting to steal your running back, you have to win this game, right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so, so you're taking you're taking TCU. I, I am. You you think they'll cover the nine and a half? 
I do. Um, I think there are a couple of X factors. Obviously, Zach Evans is turning out to be quite the player. How he ended up at TCU is still beyond some people, but needless to say, he is there. He's simply beginning to take over um, that, that position. That group will be the star of this offense, which is going to take a lot of the pressure off of the quarterback position. Like I said, just being the X factor that he can be, I think he's going to be the difference maker here. Here's a crazy they win by they win by by 10 or 14, like you're saying. The, here's a crazy stat though for this game is that Tanner Mordecai in uh, in three games this year. You you want to guess how many passing yards he has in three games? Um, I'm gonna say that and this is a total guess. You're asking me to guess. This is a legitimate guess. I have no clues beforehand. I would expect it to be at least 800 yards. All right, let's let's go. Uh, let's go north of that. Okay, I wanted to say a thousand, but I thought that was being a little bit too greedy. Okay, hang on. So I backed I, off to 800. These numbers. I, I want to make sure I'm, I'm saying I, this. This can't be right. <laughs> I'm just. I'm looking at these, and I. Yeah, it's right. Holy cow. Okay. So this is uh this is three games. This in three games. He has 1023 passing yards in three games. You want to guess how many passing touchdowns? I well, I just pulled it up. So oh, okay. you can't ask me those questions anymore. <laughs> so I mean, this is nuts. I was like, there's no way this is right. Three games, 1023 passing yards. 16 passing touchdowns on the season for Tanner Mordecai in three games. So yeah, the Mustangs are coming to town with some offense and uh, it'll be a good test. Uh, Gary Patterson and his defense, I, by no means do I expect it to be a shutout, but I do think at the end of the day, uh, you're going to have the Horn Frogs at least a 10 point, uh, 10 point better uh, than, than the Mustangs and what could be a fun game in, in the, the, the Dallas Metroplex. Another fun game, undefeated Texas Tech goes to, Austin to play the two and one Texas Longhorns. Um, I think Texas needs this game because I, I feel like a win here gets them back into the top 25 uh, beyond Robinson, tw- 299 yards rushing on the season uh, through three games, five rushing touchdowns. Texas tech is very underrated for what they do offensively. Uh, but I just don't think that they have the guns here to stop the Texas uh, attack when you talk about what they bring with Casey Thompson now being a dual threat quarterback and the Robinson kid, uh, Texas seven and a half point favorites here. Um, I'm not a fan. I'm not a big fan of the over under being at 61 and a half. I, I can't believe I'm saying this about a Texas tech game, but I think I would lean towards that under at 61 and a half, but I definitely, I definitely do feel like Texas covers a seven and a half point spread here. Yeah, um, man, I've not been high on Texas Tech for a number of reasons. I still feel as though Matt Wells is in the hot seat when you – and take this with a grain of salt when I say quality opponent. When you run up against a quality opponent like Texas, I think that's where the wheels begin to fall off, and we see Texas Tech start to just fall apart. Mm-hmm. I'm giving Texas a big win here. Big one. I, well, I got him covering the seven and a half. So that's, that's, uh, we're, we're both kind of on the <laughs> same page there. So, okay. Here's my first, uh, upset alert. Okay. This is going to, this is probably going to, um, make your jaw drop a little bit. 
I got Baylor giving Iowa State everything they want in Waco, Texas this weekend. The number 14-ranked Cyclones come uh, into Baylor. 2.30 kickoff is going to be on Fox. Uh, the Cyclones is a seven-point favorite. Over-under is 47.5. And, and let me just tell you, I love the over big time on this game. Um, and I think Baylor – call me crazy, Rich. Baylor's a seven-point dog. I would take them and the seven points, and they're going to be in the fourth quarter with a chance to upset Iowa State on Saturday in Waco. I am not going to take that stance (laughs) here. Um, Baylor and every single opponent that they've played, minus Kansas, has been an FCS, and Kansas might as well be an FCS opponent. So that's a really soft soft 3-0. For me, I think Iowa State's out to prove something. And if the score against UNLV was any indicator of that, it's it's that they're going to continue to progress. They're going to continue to improve. And Baylor's just one more hurdle in in that chase to get into the Big 12 championship and possibly win it. I've, I've got Iowa State covering and I've got Iowa State <laughs> winning this one, obviously. Okay, um, we'll have to see how that one plays out. Um, okay, so, uh, Saturday, 3 o'clock Central Time on the ACC Network, Kansas at Duke. Um, not a lot to say here. I I kind of talked highly of Kansas after they uh, – I thought they looked competitive against Coastal Carolina, and they just got straight steamrolled uh, by Baylor last weekend to start conference play. I don't see this being any different um, out in North Carolina. Duke's 16-point favorite. I do think that they cover, and uh, because it's Kansas playing, I would lean towards the under at 57.5, but – Definitely have, would have no problems taking Duke. I think you could add another five to that, and I would still take Duke at a 21-point favorite. How many fans buy tickets hoping this is a basketball game? <laughs> right? I will say the ticket, <laughs> uh, the tickets are $14, man, if you want to drive out there. and, and uh, Yeah, and I'm not, not excited for this one <laughs> whatsoever. Kansas is not a good football team. Um, they got their one win of the season, and, and I legitimately think that that's it's it's a real possibility that's the only win they're going to get this season duke wins this one i don't know that it's by 16 i'm going to go 14 on this one and and say they don't cover oh wow okay all right so we got kansas state at oklahoma state as a six o'clock kickoff this is on the says just if if you want to know why oklahoma's leaving the big 12 you got a top 25 program in kansas state playing on the road against an undefeated program. So you got two undefeated teams, one of them ranked in the top 25. And the only way you can find this game is if you have the ESPN plus package. So that said, please stop questioning why OU is leaving the big 12, because this is garbage. Um, But Kansas state at Oklahoma state, Mike Gundy has been playing with fire all season long. The Cowboys surprisingly to me are six point favorite. It's because uh, the Wildcats are without Skylar Thompson, but they did get a win last week without Skylar Thompson to go to three and O and, and jump into the top 25 over under on this game is 46. I would, I would definitely take the under here uh, because if you've seen, if you've seen Oklahoma state play offense at all this season, uh, you, that would lean you towards the under, but I think this is one of those defensive led games, rich that actually kind of ends up being kind of boring uh, until the very end where one of these teams either has to make a play to take the lead or play defense to protect the lead. I think it's close throughout, but I, I like Kansas state here, even though they're without Skylar Thompson, 
I just I, the Oklahoma State offense is broken. It's just I've watched them for three mm-hmm. weeks now, and all I see is a broken offense. I, they 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 went in. It was almost halftime Saturday at Boise, and they had seven passing yards. That's not going to win in Big 12 play, even against a backup quarterback. I like Kansas State to cover the six points that they're the underdog by. And I think they have a chance to, again, Mike Gundy's been playing with fire for three weeks now. It may actually burn him this week. I think Kansas State is in a position to win this game late. I'm not going to disagree with you. This one seems like it will be a game of turnovers as well as who has the ball. Last and Oklahoma State's turning the ball over far more often than Kansas State is. So I do give them the edge largely because of that. Kansas State's been a big surprise for me without Skylar Thompson. It, this one, Matt, though, honestly, flip a coin at the end of the day and where, let, let it fall where it may fall and then pick your team based upon that because that's how this one feels for me. Let me ask you a question about this. If, if Oklahoma State ends up winning this game, do they sneak into the top 25 next week? Because they'll be 4-0. They have a win on the road at Boise. They have a win now at home over a top 25 program. Do they get into the top 25? And would they not, hands down, be the worst top 25 team out there? Yes and yes. <laughs> okay. All right, so that sets us up for West Virginia and Oklahoma 630 kickoff. I said ESPN earlier in the podcast. It is actually an ABC broadcast. I apologize for that. So I hope you, if you – if you heard ESPN, I hope you stayed to the end of the podcast to hear me say ABC. Um, Oklahoma, 17-point favorite, over-under 56 and a half. And I'm just going to throw this out there, Rich. I like Oklahoma to win fairly big. I got Oklahoma winning by a final score of 38 to 21. Um, and so I've got them right at that point spread margin of 17. But I definitely think that you would take the over on this game and get a push on the point spread. I'm taking the under um, on this contest and saying that it doesn't quite reach that 56 and a half. Instead, it's going to sit just under Oklahoma, I think, finds their rhythm offensively. For West Virginia, it's going to come down to turnovers for me and being a more turnover prone offense. I think that plays into Oklahoma's hands and ultimately becomes the decider in this game that Oklahoma wins 34 to 14. 34, 14. That was your, that was your score. Uh-huh. Is that what you said? Wow. Yep. Okay. So we're, we're close. I've got 38. <laughs> you've got 34. I've got 21. You've got 14. We're, we're, we're in the neighborhood. That's going to wrap it up for this issue of this Sooner Nation podcast. He's Rich. I'm Matt. You can find us on the internet, heartland-sports.com, pregame, postgame. Uh, we're there. Also on Twitter, at Sports Heartland on Twitter. Hope you enjoy your weekend. Enjoy your football. Boomer Sooner, everybody.